Bagel Show. It is Josh Elliott. We'll filling in once again for Pick Nazar this week. And we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet. What are you waiting for? Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. We got Dom Shermati here, as always. Elon Chark as well. Uh, and you can text in. It is the People Show. 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Labner on Bridge Street. Dunbar Lumber Express at Manor Center. Or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. On the show today, we thought it was going to be a slow show yesterday when we were talking about it. Do you not remember this? Time? I didn't say slow at all. I, I don't know where you're getting slow. Well, from. I okay. I thought it was any going show to be a I'm slow on show. with you is electric. Well, fair enough. We just debate. I thought it was going to be a show without a huge amount of topics in terms of like breaking news topics. You were wrong. I was wrong. Canucks extend Patrick Alvin for three years. General manager. We'll talk about that with. Brendan Batchelor, voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on Sportsnet 650. Also, on the football front, the Seahawks getting their new head coach, Mike McDonald, defensive coordinator, former defensive coordinator for the Ravens. He has a farm. He has a, well. E-I-E-I. Oh. Don't do that ever again. (laughs) Don't do that ever again. Uh, But Mike McDonald newest head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. We'll talk about that with Curtis uh, Curtis Crabtree, yes, reporter for Fox 13 in Seattle. I might also throw a, a cracking question by him, if that's okay, Dom. Do you mind? Yeah, you're more than welcome. Thank you. Too. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, but before we'll we get cracking. Before we get cracking? Yeah. Is there something to have to do? We should tease the fact that something happened last night. Oh, yes. Okay, so yesterday on the show, we were talking about um, with Victor Gaucher, yeah. who, former varsity goalkeeper SFU. At, at SFU, soccer, yeah. Um, and basically my whole thing was, hey, I, I don't play soccer, but I know that I'm athletic enough that I can go out and I can score four out of ten at least penalty kicks. We'll touch on that in the second segment. And uh, yeah, how we put it to the test last night. We did. If you want the answer right now, you can go to my Twitter or my TikTok and uh, there's a video. But we'll talk about it in the second segment after we talk to Curtis Crabtree. Also, I need another movie today. I watched a movie last night. I'll talk about that as well. But I need another one today. 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. Get those texts in. First, though, I want to get into all the Canucks talk and specifically this Patrick Alvin extension. And the one thing I was thinking today, scrolling Twitter, scrolling the internet, was has this fan base ever been as, or not, maybe not ever, but when was the last time this fan base was as united behind the front office as it seems like Canucks fans are right now? And... I don't think it happened at any point during Jim Benning's tenure. Maybe I'm just um, looking back on it and only remembering the bad parts. But as far as I can recall, I, I think you almost have to go back to Mike Gillis. And I, I I almost feel like there were more people who were against Mike Gillis in his time in Vancouver. Even though it wasn't the vast majority, I just feel like there were a certain amount of people that were against what uh, Gillis was doing and, and weren't as high on him. Whereas right now it feels like everybody's kind of on the same page with Alvin and Rutherford and and 
don't seem to have any problems with him. And when you look at the track record, there isn't really any reason to have any problems with him either because you look at the turnover on this roster. I was doing some research because sometimes I do that before shows. Um, But I was doing some research and I was looking at the last game the Canucks played with Jim Benning as the general manager. And obviously the the changes weren't immediate when Alvin came in and Rutherford came in. They didn't make a trade right away. But just looking at it, and there was also that brief time, Stan Smeal was interim GM, undefeated, by the way. Um, but I was looking at the roster, and guys like Alex Chason were on it, Justin Dowling, remember that, uh, OEL, Tyler Mott, Tanner Pearson, um, guys like that. And you just look at the look at the turnover in two years, just over two years since Alvin and Rutherford have taken over and it's it's pretty incredible and especially to be doing that during the flat cap and and with all the complications that come with that that's been really impressive in my eyes and I I'm interested as we all are to see what happens at this trade deadline because this feels kind of like a there's been a few make or break moments along the way I mean you think about the JT Miller extension the Horvat trade and this next test, it kind of feels like this deadline is is a big test as well. Uh, but let's go to our next guest, to the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline. It is Brendan Batchelor, voice of the Vancouver Canucks, here on Sportsnet 650 and a TikTok star. It is Batch. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm well. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, so, Alvin gets a three-year extension today. Obviously, it, it, very well-deserved. What was your your main takeaway from the presser today and and his comments in maybe the past month or so? Yeah, I mean, I didn't think there was a lot of meat on the bone in terms of newsy quotes from the the press conference. And that's one thing that Patrick Alvin has become very adept at is, um, you know, not giving away too much information when he speaks to the media. So uh, I didn't think it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, if you think you've, you've got something, but from, from listening to it, I didn't think there were any sort of big headline quotes or, or things that really made you think. I think we just learned that some of the things that we've heard Jim Rutherford say and, and Patrick Alvin say in the past few weeks remain true, which is that they want to be aggressive before this deadline the field, the team and the coaching staff have done a good job and they deserve uh, an opportunity to see what they can do down the stretch run this season. And so I expect Alvin uh, and Rutherford by extension, of course, to be aggressive in the coming weeks ahead of the trade deadline to try and make this team better. And we'll see exactly what path that takes. But I don't think they're afraid of making bold moves because they certainly haven't been afraid of that in their tenure uh, running the Vancouver Canucks here over the last little bit. Yeah, I don't know if there were any uh, money quotes, I guess would be the word, but there were. The, the, my biggest takeaway was that Alvin and Rutherford and, and kind of everyone within Canucks management, you can even throw talking in there as well, is they've been very consistent in their messaging since they've come to Vancouver. And that's that to me is very, very encouraging. I don't, I, do you feel the same way that things have been pretty consistent in their messaging in their time in Vancouver? Yeah, I, I think so. I think their messaging has been very consistent. And I think the key part of their messaging being consistent is the organizational alignment that they have behind closed doors, too. And, 
you know, in past years with past regimes, and I'm not specifically targeting the Benning regime because, you know, there have been multiple dysfunctional management groups that have run this organization dating back, you know, really to their infancy in the NHL, but that alignment is not always there. And, you know, I think alignment in messaging is an indication of alignment behind closed doors. When there is a lack of alignment in messaging, then you tend to think that that's probably a lack of alignment behind closed doors. So I don't necessarily think it's the organization consciously saying, okay, we all need to hit these talking points. And whenever we speak to the media, we have to emphasize the same things. I think it's legitimately these guys all value the same things, all believe in the same things in terms of team building and organizational structure and accountability and everything they have to do to be a successful hockey club, both on and off the ice. And because they are all aligned in the way they want to operate, their messaging is aligned too. And it's a big part of the reason why this team has had so much success and turned things around so quickly because we, you know, you don't have to go back far to last season to remember when there wasn't that organizational alignment, where the messaging wasn't the same, where Jim Rutherford would be saying one thing and Bruce Boudreaux would be saying another thing. And it was clear that that alignment wasn't there. Now that they have it, it's allowed them to all be on the same page and have success as a result. One thing I was talking about before we brought you on is kind of how how much turnover there's been in such a short amount of time, like two years since Alvina's taken over. And I was looking at the the last game before Benning got fired where the, the Canucks played the Penguins, and I was looking at the defense core. It was obviously Quinn Hughes, um, but then you had OEL, Kyle Burrows, Tucker Pullman, uh, Luke Shen, and Tyler Myers. And so even just on the defense, the turnover, but then you think about all everything they've added up front too. Like it, it's been pretty impressive the amount of work they've been able to do in a flat cap. Absolutely, it is, and you can go even more recently than you know when Benning was fired to look at a a defensive core that looks very different than the one they have right now. They essentially, you know, in the last year, uh, have moved four new defensemen into their top six and uh, have, have shipped four guys out, right? They brought Heronik in, what, just a, a little under a year ago, I guess. Susie and Cole uh, have joined as well, and there's someone else that I'm, I'm missing right now um, in terms of the top six. Zadorov, exactly, who is a more recent addition. Um, so there you go. That's four of your top six. Like, the only guys left are Quinn Hughes and Tyler Myers. So that is a, a, a makeover of the blue line that I ne- didn't necessarily think they would be able to do as successfully as they have in such a, a short span of time. But again, I think it speaks to that alignment where they target the kind of player they want. And, you know, we, we've heard Talkett and Alvin both reference the fact that Rick Talkett is a quote unquote puzzle guy. So, he will know the kind of player he wants in a certain role in a certain spot in the lineup. And it's clear that that communication is strong because Alvin has gone out and got guys that fit those holes in the, you know, metaphorical puzzle. And the puzzle has come together very well this year, whether you're talking about the defense, whether you're talking about, you know, some of the depth forward signings that have really worked out like Pew Suter and, and Teddy Bluger, or, you know, even going and getting Philip Heronik, that's been an absolute home run move in terms of finding you another legitimate top two defenseman based on the way that Heronik has played this year. So, um, you know, I think it speaks to what we were talking about a moment ago as well, that they've done good work, 
But the reason it's been so effective on the ice is because, you know, they're not just going and getting players they like and then saying to their head coach, okay, you figure out how they work together. It's a partnership where the management and the head coach are in constant communication about what they need and how they see the team developing and being built. And as a result, you know, they've had some tremendous success here early on. And because of what they've done and that body of work, for me anyway, it leads you to have confidence in saying they're going to target the right kind of player that is going to complement the way they want to play very well ahead of this trade deadline, whether it ends up being a centerman so you can have the lotto line together, whether it ends up being a winger that can play with Pedersen potentially, or whether you even do some, some greater mixing in the, in the top six forward group. We've heard Rutherford say they want a top six forward, and you have to imagine that the kind of player they target will be one that fits into the way that Rick Tockett wants to play. And the... The other part of it is leading up to the deadline, like you look at every move the Canucks have made and save for maybe a couple in, in Alvin's tenure, there aren't any you look at and you're like, ah, oh, that was that was a miss or like they've they've hit on so many guys and that kind of gives you the confidence going into the deadline too that no matter who they're targeting, even if it's a, a guy who theoretically should be expensive, it doesn't feel like they're going to overpay or or misidentify on a player that they're they're potentially bringing in in the next month or so. Yeah, I tend to agree. Like the to me the only trades and you know we could talk about signings because I know some people are are more critical of like the JT Miller extension than others or the Ilya Mikheyev signing than others, but if we're talking about the trade market in the context of looking forward to the trade deadline, to me the only trades that I've had any issues with are the ones where they kind of had to take an L to move off some bad money that they inherited from the previous regime, like the Jason Dickinson move, for example, um, which, you know, the, the, the old saying, you have to break a few eggs to make an omelet kind of comes to mind where you have to find ways to create salary cap flexibility and, and, you know, give yourself a bit of breathing room in order to make the kind of moves you want to make. And that's what this management group has been able to do in terms of, building this team and you know when you analyze the deadline it's interesting to think about it in that context as well because if they are going to have to make a move to move some money out whether it ends up being someone like Kuzmenko or I know Zadorov's been in the rumor mill over the last couple of days you know a trade where you're trying to move off money in isolation might not look like a good trade might look like it's a loss for the organization but I think when you analyze trades like that, you have to look at them more in the sense of the bigger picture. And, you know, maybe you're taking a loss on that trade, but it sets you up to make a trade that is actually much better for your organization going forward. And so that's really when you look at the, the track record of, of the moves that Alvin and Rutherford have made since coming to Vancouver. And let's be honest, there's been a lot of them. They've been the most active team in the league. Um you know, they're all a part of a greater plan, and that's what I would expect going into this deadline as well. So, you know, just hypothetically speaking, let's say they flip out someone like Kuzmenko and it looks like they don't get fair value or, you know, maybe they have to retain salary or they have to, you know, throw in a sweetener to get rid of that contract in isolation. That doesn't look like a great trade. But then if it gives them the flexibility to go out and get a difference maker that helps put this team over the top, and, you know, give it a real chance to go on a deep playoff run, then, you know, you kind of have to look at that as all part of the the same picture for my money. But, you know, based on their track record in terms of the way they've managed the trade market, you tend to think 
that they'll do a good job in terms of targeting the kind of players they need to help them win at this deadline and trying to do it in a manner that means they're not completely selling the farm if they can avoid it. And I think one of the main concerns, and I, I don't even know if it was a, a legitimate concern that I would I would be worried about, but one thing that was getting thrown around is like, hey, before the Rutherford extension, before the Alvin extension, these guys were in the last year of their deal, and was, there was maybe a worry that they might prioritize doing whatever they can this year because they don't know if next year is promised. Do you think that by getting these extensions, extensions that changes anything they're going to do, or is it still the same approach? And, and again, we talked about the consistency in their message. Is it just they're going to stay true to their word and, and um, be thinking about the short term, but also have an eye towards the long term as well? Yeah, I, I think the only thing I would say about the extensions is that it sort of validates the work they've done to this point, which means they can be confident in going out and making the kind of moves they think they need to make because they now have a mandate from ownership that we like what you've done, we're keeping you around, now go out and keep doing your thing and, and try to do what you can to make this team better. I don't think it would have changed their philosophy in terms of, you know, oh, you know, like I don't think Alvin would have been in a situation where he feels like he's GMing for his job, so he has to make a big splash and he sells off a ton of prospects to bring in a top player. Like I don't think that's the way he goes about his business. And, you know, to be honest, most NHL executives don't go about their business that way. So I don't think that is uh, a real legitimate concern with this management group. Um, I mean, you could argue that with the past management group, that is something that, that kind of led them astray. And, and the Ekman-Larsen trade is an example of that. But, um, you know, with this management group, I think it's a good thing that they got these extensions done. They got them done before the deadline. So that that isn't a talking point or a storyline. And it's just, hey, the guys that have come in here and have done a really good job get to continue doing their work and trying to build this team as well as they can, both for the short term and for the long term. And that's what I think is going to be most fascinating about this deadline is we heard Alvin talk a lot about, you know, trying to balance both of those things today. And, you know, you want to make your team better in the short term, but you don't want to sacrifice too much of the long term. And every time you make a short term decision, it does impact the long term. That's a, a refreshing message to hear from the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks because it shows that it's not just about trying to be a playoff team this year or trying to be a contender this year. It's about doing the best you can to win right now while also making sure that you keep your contention window open for as long as possible and you give your organization a chance to win season after season. And I don't think if that's some I don't think that's something we've necessarily seen in Vancouver over the last decade or so. So one of the names that's been uh, floating around that Elliot Freeman has kind of brought up was Nikita Zadorov, and it was it was kind of surprising when I heard it, but I get the reasoning if the Canucks aren't super into signing him, and maybe they're not super enamored with the price now that they've negotiated with uh, Dan Milstein. Uh, but it also just feels like he would be a key piece for the Canucks in the playoffs if he uh, if he did stay through the deadline. Like where do, where do you sit on that? Um, letting an asset walk for free or like and keeping them for a playoff run or do you think they should capitalize on assets if they if they are able to move them i i mean when when you are talking about going all in or you know maybe not all in but pushing more chips into the center of the table to try and be a contender 
to me, it's it's less concerning looking at, you know, are you going to let the guy walk for free or not? Because it's about trying to win now. And let's be perfectly honest. It's not like they paid a huge premium for Nikita Zadorov. It's not like they gave up a first round pick or anything like that. So if it was a situation like that where you've given up premium assets to bring a guy in and then you might be letting him walk, then I think that's a different conversation. But, you know, the, the price for Zadorov was a couple of mid-round picks. Um, you know, he's he's the kind of player that can help you in the playoffs, but uh, long-term, the dollar amount may not make sense. And, you know, part of the, the rumblings about Zadorov could be the fit on that back end, right? We've seen him demoted, essentially, down to the third pairing. Um, when they were fully healthy on the back end, they've got four left-shot guys, so it meant that someone had to move to the right side, and Ian Cole did that. And Rick Tockett has talked specifically about how he thought that Cole's game dipped when he had to play on his offside. And, um, you know, one of the, the positives, I guess, if you want to call it that, of Susie going down was that they were able to get back to three left-shot defensemen and three right-shot defensemen. So if there is anything to those Zadorov rumors, I think it has more to do with fit than anything in particular in terms of liking or not liking the player. And, you know, part of it could be that maybe they don't see a, a long-term fit for him if indeed there is any truth to the rumors that they might be exploring moving him. But that said, you know, kind of like I was talking about earlier, I don't think we could look at any potential Zadorov trade in isolation and say, oh, they're just moving off this guy that they brought in a few months ago. Like, to me, the reason you're moving off that guy is because you think there's a better fit for you on the blue line out there that you can bring in if you get off his cap space, and maybe it's a right-shot guy rather than a left-shot guy, so you have that balance in terms of lefty-righties on your pairings. But, you know, that said, um, Zadorov may continue to remain in Vancouver. If he does so, I think he's the kind of player that, you know, is a big, mean, tough, physical defenseman that, you know, could benefit them in the playoffs. But at the same time, Jim Rutherford in his history, and I know Randeep has talked about this a lot, has had a track record of bringing guys in almost as stop gaps in, in situations where he needs them and then not being afraid to move on from them quickly. And Zadorov was acquired at a time when Carson Soucy was out of the lineup. And, you know, Carson Soucy's out of the lineup right now, so Zadorov's a fit. But we saw how maybe the fit isn't as natural if they've got a fully healthy blue line. And one example of Rutherford doing this in his tenure is actually Tanner Pearson, who he acquired from the LA Kings when he was running the Pittsburgh Penguins and then shipped Pearson to the Vancouver Canucks later that same season, right before the deadline. So it wouldn't be unprecedented from Jim Rutherford to do something like this with a player like Zadorov. I'm just not necessarily sure whether that is going to happen this time around. Hey, Batch, really appreciate you taking the time and uh, enjoy the rest of the, the bye week and All-Star break. Sounds good. Thank you. There is Brendan Batchelor, voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on Sportsnet 650. You can follow him on Twitter at Batch Hockey. We got to hit a break, but uh, before we go, I did want to pass along my top five. So earlier in the week, I did top five, top six forward targets. I don't have time to get into all of the, the details of my top five defenseman targets, but I'm going to Put it out there anyway. Starting from five, Andrew Peak. Be interested in him. Number four, Jacob Chikrin. Number three, Chris Tanev. Number two, Brett Pesce. Number one, David Yurchak. Maybe I'll get into that a bit later and provide some more information. But uh, 
Also, the iconic Coors Light Chill train is heading to Las Vegas for the big game, and it just made a stop in Vancouver, leaving behind a trail of epic prizes. On February 1st and 2nd, from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m., look for its frozen tracks at Robson Square for a chance to win instant prizes that deliver big game day chill or the ultimate grand prize, a trip to next year's big game event. Learn more at CoorsLight.ca slash the chill train on the other side curtis crabtree going to talk to us about the seahawks uh and more that's coming up next on the people show it is josh elliott wolf on sportsnet 650